0: Located at the southernmost tip of the African continent, South Africa is sure to offer once in a lifetime experiences. From Table Mountain in Cape Town, Kruger National Park, and the winelands of Stellenbosch, this destination is full of surprises. Today we will be interviewing Katie Barrett, aka The Wine Fairy, an amazing Cape Town wine expert who is also a certified tour guide in South Africa. Sharing the stage, we will also be interviewing the general manager of the Silo Hotel, one of Condé Nast Traveler's hot list locations because of their unique and beautiful contemporary design. Situated above the Zeitz Museum of Contemporary Art Africa, the hotel displays their own curated African art collection. We're excited to explore exotic luxury with you on this episode of Destination Everywhere, South Africa.
1: Welcome to Destination Everywhere with hospitality and travel entrepreneurs Todd Bloodworth and Andy McNeil. Having traveled to over a 100 countries, Todd and Andy bring you unique perspectives with celebrities in the know, hospitality experts, and native connoisseurs to discover must-dos and inspirational destinations to plan your next trip for business or pleasure. So pack your bags and get ready as we bring you Destination Everywhere with Todd and Andy.
2: Welcome everyone to Destination Everywhere. I'm Andy McNeil along with my partner, Todd Budworth. And today we are talking about just a beautiful place, South Africa, specifically Cape Town. But we're going to talk about the entire region and all the amazing things that you can do. A lot of people don't know, and we're going to talk about a lot of this today is that South Africa is the 10th largest wine producer on the planet. You know, we love wine. And we got a really special guest today to help talk about that. But let's talk about South Africa in general, the culture, the region. What do you know? I do know that South Africa has
0: got a great food scene. And it's got an up-and-coming gastronomy scene, as well as many, many award-winning chefs. So it's a great place to do a food tour as well. But there's also Kruger National Park which is home to one of the largest game reserves, and it is an excellent safari destination.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Everyone does go there. You know, a lot of people, it's a a once-in-a-lifetime destination for just that safari. And obviously, South Africa region has some of the best safaris on the continent. And something that is unique about South Africa is also they do
0: have nine different provinces. In each one of those provinces has its own diverse history and Diverse culture. So, if you can get out of Cape Town, definitely check out the scene around the rest of the country.
2: Yeah, and let's not forget about just the fantastic weather. When we were there, we hit it spot on. It was absolutely gorgeous. Make sure you check the weather and best times of year to be there. And let's not forget about the great weather. When you and I were there, it was just absolutely beautiful, picture perfect, made our safari really, really special.
0: Right. Summer temperatures range between 60 and 80 degrees, and winter temperatures between 60s and low 70s. So it's actually the perfect climate year round. We'll be right back with our next guest, Katie Barrett. And Katie is known as the Wine Fairy, and she is an expert in South African food, wine, and travel.
2: Oh, I can't wait for this, the Wine Fairy. We'll be right back, everybody.
0: Welcome back to Destination Everywhere. I'm excited to speak to our next guest because we have some passions in common and I'm curious to learn a little bit more about it. Our next guest was actually born in the UK. She's been living in South Africa for 40 years. She did go to hotel school specializing in food and beverage, and she's extremely knowledgeable about wines and the winemaking process. And in 2009, she started her own company called Wine Fairy Tours. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that And what they do is they specialize in African and international wine tours, as well as they host virtual wine parties. So Katie Barrett, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you, Todd. It's such a pleasure to be here and talk about my favorite topics, wine in South Africa.
0: That's what we're here to listen to. First, I want to talk about, you're from the UK. How did you end up in South Africa?
3: Well, I was a nine-year-old girl, so I've just given my age away. But my father was transferred with his company. So we lived in a tiny little village in the UK and in South Africa was known as the land of milk and honey. And it really was just a great opportunity for us as a small young family to spread our wings and come to this beautiful country as South Africa. And we fell in love and we've stayed really. So all around the countryside I've been, but Cape Town is home because for me, that's where the wine is and certainly the most beautiful winelands in the world. And so yeah, that's where I've ended up.
0: How did this passion for wine develop? When did you have your first sip of wine? What made you pursue this career?
3: It was a dark and stormy night, Todd. (laughs) (laughs) We weren't really a a drinking family as much as a wine drinking family anyway. And when I went to hotel school, there was always a wine tour each year. And being a first year, I wasn't really supposed to get a seat, but I knew a few people. And as is my way, I managed to persuade my way on a bus. So 40 students traveled down about a 25-hour journey on a bus. You can just imagine with the age group 19 through 23, the chaos that ensued on that journey. But the idea was that we'd visit four wineries a day for 14 days. And at the end of it, you either loved it or you didn't. And I'm one of the very lucky ones that absolutely fell in love with it. What it, how it really started was one of the first wineries we arrived at was this beautiful classic Cape Dutch architecture. It dates back to 1693. I mean, it's just stunning and it's called Mielust. So to set the scene, we're looking at April. So the end of harvest is approaching. So there's still some fruit, but all the fermentations have started happening in the cellar already. So we're standing outside eagerly anticipating our first drink and the cellar door swings open and this gorgeous man steps out. And I swear there was lights and music, you know, that aria that you hear that sort of "Ah!" when it's all just happening and you'd realize that this is love. That's the moment. Well, I went weak at the knees and I thought it was love, but it was the CO2 happening from the fermentation that had escaped as he'd opened the window. And I was right there eagerly in the front. So it was the science that actually got me. That's the story. And I really just fell in love with wine from there. It's so much more than just the glass. It's the lifestyle. It's the people. It's the stories beyond the glass. And that was it. I was in love. And wine remains my first love today.
0: Now, I heard you say, I'm just trying to figure this out in my head. You said four wineries a day for 14 days. Is that what you said?
3: It is what I said. We took one day off in between just to take a bit of a break. But I think we had more vodka that day than anything. So it doesn't really count.
0: How many wineries are in the region?
3: So in South Africa, we've got over 2,000 wineries, and that stretches pretty much throughout the whole of the Cape Winelands. And nowadays, we're looking at over 10,000 brands. The whole industry has changed considerably. But back in those days, which is a long time ago, there were probably about just under 500 wineries. So a lot to choose from.
0: Is climate change affecting the wine growing in South Africa?
3: Absolutely. But I think it's a global challenge. And if we can call it climate change, sure, there are certain differences that are happening year on year. This year, our harvest has definitely been later than the previous years. Drought is certainly changing things. We're having a, a huge problem previously with drought, which is making big changes. So yes, my answer is most definitely yes. We're seeing some very critical changes. And I think we've just got to adapt to that. Certainly this year has been a number of degrees hotter than previous years. But that's part of the winemaking challenge, right? If we didn't have these challenges and if Mother Nature wasn't such a force to be reckoned with, we wouldn't have the task of creating such beautiful wines. And I think that really plays to the strengths of the winemaker and the viticulturalists to be able to work with these changes and still produce some incredible wines.
0: So we've got the traditional wine in France, obviously, and in Northern California. I've heard England has got a blooming wine region. What makes South Africa so special when it comes to wines?
3: It's sunshine in a glass. It's the absolute diversity from farm to farm, from mountain to mountain. Here on one property, we can have 11 different soil types, from the mountains to the rivers to the ocean, sea breezes. We've got areas that we could equate to be almost exactly like Burgundy. We've got areas that are similar to New Zealand. Just because of that diversity in regionality, we're really able to focus on not only international brands or international wines, as we call them, the varieties, but we can pull on the Mediterranean roots. We can pull on the French classics. And I think that South Africa is a world in one country, and this allows us to really showcase that platform and to have the diversity in the glass.
0: For South African wines, do you have a favorite or are you... An impartial voter. Is it like picking a favorite child?
3: Todd, I don't have children, so I'm quite happy to answer that question. My answer is as simple as this though. My favorite is the one that's open in front of me. (laughs) It's typically (laughs) one could choose different grape varieties and often I would, but there's so much goes into it. Your mood, the temperature, what you're eating, who you're with. I've got friends that I'll certainly drink Chardonnay until the cows come home. But then I've got friends that they're Shiraz people. It's all about personality profiling the wine and yourself and your company. So for ease of an answer, I'm going to say the one that's open. If I had to tell you what was in my glass right now and what I really promote South Africa for, it's probably going to be Chenin Blanc. Chenin is a French grape, of course, from the Loire Valley, but South Africa, we've taken it on as our own. She's more of our Cinderella grape. She was the workhorse for many years. And we produce a lot of brandy here and a lot of kind of sweeter wines in the olden days, but now we wanted to benchmark ourselves against the world to be able to shine. And by taking the Chenin Blanc, which South Africa has more plantings of Chenin in this country than the rest of the world put together. So by taking that, we've really managed to benchmark ourselves against those wines from the Loire, specifically from Vouvray. And being able to shout out to the world that our credibility and our quality is absolutely fantastic. And that's why I call her Cinderella, because she's literally become our shining princess. So I think if you think South Africa, you're always going to think Shannon as your first, but there is so much more to it.
0: So I want to get to your business a second. I just love the name. It's a mythical name, The Wine Fairy Tours. How did this come about? I know you started in 2009, but what kind of prompted you to do this?
3: It was a dream really all along that I wanted to have my own consultancy business and I'm all about sort of uplifting the community and the tourism and service in this hospitality industry. So I wanted to understand the entire supply chain from consumer to winery and backwards, right? So I've worked in restaurants. I've done literally every job you can in the supply chain. And that then set me up to be able to have the knowledge. I may not be good at every angle, but of course, you've got the understanding of each of them. And I think that then allows you to teach other people and to have an opinion. So once I'd achieved that in 2009, it seemed right to set up the wine fairy, but I was moving to the Cape. So I needed sort of a transition while I was building up a reputation. Well, I had a reputation. I needed a good one. (laughs) So so I kind of just started up with the tours as a sideline to keep things going and to really get the connections. And it's ended up being one of my favorite things to do. So I still do some consultancy and give people lessons. I do quite a lot of training and help out with wine lists and places. But the tours have literally become my dream. It's just, I'm living the best life. I get to travel the world with a wine glass in my hand, and entertain people and be entertained. What more could one ask for, really?
0: And when you do the wine tours, obviously, you always look for a little something to nosh on while you're drinking the wine. What are the wineries in South Africa serving with their wines? Clear the palate or settle the stomach?
3: Again, we've got such wonderful produce, and we're very focused on locally sourced ingredients. So a lot of the wineries will have some top restaurants, So all the way from a nine course food and wine pairing experiences available on these properties, all the way to a simple cheese platter. We do a lot of chocolate and wine pairings. We're doing all sorts of interesting things, not only from a food perspective, but to try and get people to linger longer or to explore one's palates a little more. I mean, the settings of these wineries, you've either got a mountain backdrop, you're surrounded by oak trees. It's just gorgeous scenery. I think vines only grow in beautiful places, and what grows together goes together when it comes to food and wine. And because we've got this beautiful produce, we've got a palate second to none, and the restaurants, you've just got to come and experience them, really. Like I say, from easy eating, light lunches to gourmet extravaganzas, there's something for everybody.
0: For people who are looking to do a wine tour in terms of accommodations... Is it something that you want to just stay and park in one place, or do you kind of want to move with the tour? Because it is such a large area. Do you have recommendations on places to stay?
3: I think these days it depends on how long you can stay, right? I mean, you know, to spend a week in South Africa is way too short. You'd need a minimum 10 days to really experience that because most people are going to tag on a safari. And as much as I'd like to fool myself and believe it's all about the wine, I know it's a little bit about the animals too. Ideally, I would say with the Winelands being so close to Cape Town, the city center, a lot of our tours originate in the town and we'll drive out for a day. So you can do as little as one day, we can cover three wine regions in one day and it's a great thing. But there's also beautiful hotels and a different energy, a different kind of relaxed atmosphere that's in the Winelands itself. And with all those stunning places to stay, I'm generally going to encourage you to spend at least two nights in the Winelands if you've got the time. So to me, an ideal itinerary would be three nights in Cape Town, two nights in the Winelands, and then head off on safari. And if you've got a little bit of extra time, there's a few wineries a little bit further afield and potentially some whales as well that we could really throw into the mix.
0: And of course, if they contact you, this is a service you provide for as the wine fairy, correct? Yes.
3: Oh, of course, (laughs) as much as I'm the wine fairy, I'm also the travel fairy, the vodka fairy, the food fairy, you name it. We can make magic happen. But yeah, I've got some wonderful travel partners that I work with. And yeah,
0: I hear you're also creating your own wine. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Oh, gosh, that's the inside track. That's literally just started. So we harvested the grapes two weeks ago. I've always wanted to have my own wine. And then suddenly everyone was making wine and I don't like to be judged. Does anybody really like to be judged? So I was quite reluctant about it. But now I've got to a certain age where I don't care anymore and I want my own wine. So now I've embarked on this journey and I'm making a Chardonnay. It's my personal favorite grape variety. So we harvested it two weeks ago, as I said, in a lovely area called Wellington, which is very warm, it's a beautiful ripe fruit, but we picked it quite early. So great acidity still coming through and because of who I am and I'm all about the natural science, we're letting it do a natural fermentation with its own wild yeast and that's already started to bubble away in barrel. So it literally took a few days before it got started so now it looks like cloudy apple juice inside this barrel. It's fabulous and it just bubble, bubble, bubbles away. And we'll see what it comes out as.
0: Do we have a name or a label yet for this?
3: We don't, so uh, feel free to write in and give me some ideas.
0: (laughs) Start sketching out your labels. I know. That's a good challenge to people.
3: Yeah, indeed. It's like more of my serious side as wine fairy, and I think you're already picking up. I'm a little quirky and I've got a, a wild sense of humor sometimes, which isn't everybody's cup of tea, but I'm trying to make my wine a little bit more sophisticated, sort of the pearls of
0: my look. You know what, I was gonna say, the black and the pearls is fabulous, and if you're listening and you can't see it, Katie's dressed to the nines right now.
3: <laughs> oh, thanks, it's my Chanel influence, <laughs> darling. I do love a Chanel. <laughs>
0: what are your wine rules?
3: I think my favorite rule, although it's quite a long one that's a bit risque, is if you like the way it smells, put it in your mouth. If you like the way it tastes, swallow. If you like the effect, repeat. Now, that's a bit of a life lesson, not only a wine lesson, but nonetheless, it seems to work. Can you give
0: us a misconception or something somebody who's never been to South Africa or Cape Town may have about the area and why they should go?
3: So, a misconception is that you're going to have a pet lion That's definitely something that I get asked all the time. Oh gosh, there are so many misconceptions. It's crazy here and that it's a terrible place and it's far from it. Why should you come to South Africa? Because it's beautiful. It will change your heart forever. You realize that there's so much more to this world, that the stars are brighter and that the footprints will be left on your soul. It's just the most incredible place. The diversity of people, the rainbow nation that we are. The pride that the people have for the love of this country. Gosh, I'm getting goosebumps. It's a beautiful place. And you never really understand that until you've felt it, until you've experienced it for yourself. When you're here, every now and again, you need to just put down the camera. You know, we're so focused on communication all the time. Put down your camera, breathe in the moment, breathe in the energy, breathe in the aromas, breathe in the light. Because all of those things have such an impact on where you are. And South Africa glows the brightest when it can share its joy.
0: Katie, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to the Wine Fairy tours and learning more about them. So Katie, if someone is interested in learning more about your tours or following you on social media, can you tell our listeners where they can track you down?
3: Absolutely. Thank you. You can find me pretty much anywhere, but the easiest is to go directly to my website, which is www.winefairytours.com. Otherwise on social media, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as the same, Wine Fairy Tours. So I'm pretty much everywhere. Just find me.
0: I absolutely will. And we love to see pictures, especially when we're not in that environment. So I'm looking forward to following you and seeing what's coming next. So again, thank you, Katie, and best of luck to you.
3: Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Todd.
2: Gosh, she's hilarious. Her favorite wine is the wine in her glass. We should all think like that. That was a great interview.
0: Katie was a lot of fun, and I'm definitely looking forward to my next trip uh, to South Africa and giving her a call. I think she'd be great to run around the town with.
2: And then let's move right into our destination favorites. And one of our first ones, is the wine culture in the Boland region on the Western Cape located just northeast of Cape Town, which makes it just really easy to get to? And like we said earlier, Cape Town is one of the tenth largest wine producers, and just because it's large doesn't mean it, it's not fantastic. There's so many great South African wines, and they're just bringing new ones to market all the time. And the cities of Paarl, Stellenbosch, and I think I said all those right. Offer many wine estates where you can stay. which is so much fun and great for luxury groups and just great experiences. A lot of people go there to get married and have once in a lifetime trips. So it's just a lot of fun.
0: Our next destination favorite is Tabletop Mountain. So you can actually travel to the top of Tabletop Mountain via hiking or a cable car. And it was awarded Africa's leading tourist attraction. So you're going to get vantage points of this of Cape Town from the mountain or of the mountain from Cape Town. It's just a magnificent place. There are also many unique outdoor venues for groups and events and activities atop of the mountain. So it's something you definitely want to check out.
2: Speaking of great activities, something you guys got to do is explore the Greenpoint District of Cape Town. It's really known as the Soho of Cape Town. It's really, really trendy, great neighborhoods, great nightlife. It just has that great vibe in the evening. When you're walking around, you can shop, you can eat. It's also home to the Cape Town Stadium, which is built for the 2020 FIFA Cup. You can request a stadium tour, just an absolute gorgeous piece of art in and of itself. So you definitely want to see that and check out all the world-class events that are coming to that stadium.
0: And our next destination, we're going to leave Cape Town. And we're going to go just outside of Johannesburg. And of course, the historic value of this recommendation is just unmatched. And this is to tour Nelson Mandela's home. And again, it's just outside of Johannesburg. And it's now known as the Mandela House. And Mandela lived there between 1946 and 1962. And the site is now a public museum containing memorabilia, paintings, and photographs of the Mandela family. So that's something you'll definitely want to check out.
2: Yeah, and we just heard of the Wines fairy's personal recommendations. This is something that Todd and I did when we got off the plane and we were jet-lagged and we needed to stay up for a while. It was at Orange City Farmer's Market. It's local, and they have fresh produce. And what we learned is they have fantastic coffee to be able to kind of knock off that jet-lag. But they have deli goods, artisan crafts, a great place just to walk around. Families, dogs. Yeah, and they get there really, really early on the weekends if you go because all the great stuff gets snapped up and you want to get the best produce early, early. Our last area that is a great recommendation is the Bokop area.
0: And this is a historic district. Uh, Bokop is colorful houses. You can visit the Atlas Trading, which is a spice shop that is at the heart of Cape Malay cuisine. Or you can pop up to Faiza's Tea Garden and taste samosas, chili bites, and traditional co-sisters. And what co-sisters are, It's very similar to a beignet. It's a fried dough and it's filled with syrups or honey. And they're a very tasty treat, oftentimes a dessert. So those are our recommendations. And we will be right back. Our next guest is actually the general manager of the Silo Hotel in Cape Town, Louis Pinheiro. So we'll be right back with Louis.
1: Are you ready to book your hotel for your next company event or family adventure? Let AMI help. We have ongoing relationships with all major hotel chains and access to over 200,000 hotels. Why us? We receive special promotions before they hit the open market, meaning significant cost savings to you. Go to destination-everywhere.com and click the source now button and let us get to work for you.
0: Welcome back to this episode of Destination Everywhere. I am your host, Todd Bloodworth, and I'm here with Luis Piñero. And Luis is the general manager of the Silo Hotel in Cape Town, South Africa. So welcome, Luis.
4: Thank you, Todd. Thank you. It's great to be with you.
0: So Luis, before we get started, I want to talk about just some of the accolades that the hotel has received. It's a five-star luxury property, and it sits in Cape Town's DNA waterfront, and it's located above the Zeitz Museum of Contemporary African Art. And the hotel has also been awarded the best city hotel in Africa in 2020 by Travel and Leisure Magazine and has a spot on the Condé Nast hot list. You've been in the business for 39 years, so you've seen a lot. I'm sure you've traveled extensively. You're born in Mozambique, which is just on the northeast border of South Africa. So what brought you to the Silo Hotel and what makes it so special?
4: What really brought me to the Silo was when I was working in Mozambique, running a set of resorts I wanted to come home in the sense that my family was in Cape Town. On one of my visits home, I was going out to Franschhoek, the beautiful winelands of the Western Cape, and there was some building work going on at the V&A Waterfront. Now, the V&A Waterfront has been around since 1997. It's been an ongoing tourist destination that's been built over the last 30 years, and when I saw the structure sitting in the middle of the waterfront, and realized that they were going to be opening probably the smallest hotel in such a huge space, I knew it was going to be iconic. And as you said, I've been in the industry for 39 years. So I really just wanted to be involved in something new and very, very exciting. And that's what The Silo has been since its creation. And the name is The Silo because
0: historically, it was a grain silo, correct?
4: Correct. So the hotel is in the elevator portion, in the elevator building, and the museum is in the grain silos. So there's 42 grain silos adjacent to the elevator building where the administration offices sat, as well as all the lifts that would take the grain and pop them into the grain silos. The building has been here since 1920. It was the tallest structure in sub-Saharan Africa from the 1930s until the late 1960s. And the image of the hotel is really just these iconic pillowed windows that you see on top of this concrete. The structure is 11 stories, and the first four stories are a museum. And then thereafter is the hotel with very small back-of-house areas.
0: And if you're not familiar with the hotel for our listeners, I suggest Googling it and visiting their website because the architecture is absolutely amazing. And the windows he's describing are these bulging windows that are absolutely magnificent. And the views from the rooms, because of that, I mean, you have some of the tallest ceilings I've seen in a hotel for some of the spaces. Absolutely gorgeous.
4: The smallest window we have is 15 feet tall. So that gives you an idea. There's 82 panes of glass in each one of the windows, because it's almost like a fly's eye and they bulge out almost three feet. What Thomas Hedevich, the industrial architect that designed the exterior area of the building wanted to do is he wanted to emulate a lantern in the middle of a harbor. So much so that we have these windows. Each bathroom has its own window and its floor to ceiling. And then each room would have at least two or three other windows. And we don't have any curtains. We have blinds, which come down automatically. When the blind is down, there's light that glows on the outside of that blind. So the inside, the bedroom is blackout completely, which we know is quite important for people. But the outside, the building is never in darkness. So it's sort of this lantern That sits in the middle of this harbor.
0: Well, one of the most fascinating features besides the windows is obviously your rooftop. You've got an amazing rooftop pool. The views are spectacular. If you're watching this through our website, you can see it behind me. But can you tell us a little bit about the rooftop and what they're looking at when they look around?
4: The uniqueness of our rooftop is that there's a 360-degree view of Cape Town because of the building regulations in the city. No building within a mile radius of the hotel can be taller than equivalent to our sixth floor. So we pretty much guaranteed to have a view uh, of Cape Town from our rooftop, 360 degrees, and we have a fantastic can-be-privatized sky terrace. But
0: you sit above the Zeitz Museum. and. You have an art concierge, so you can tailor an art tour for guests. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and how you manage those requests?
4: It's probably one of our most popular requests, and I think it's the character art concierge that we have. Irene has been with us since day one. She's from Angola, a refugee from Angola who came to South Africa, lost her parents at a very young age, and is just a passionate and driven individual who knew absolutely nothing about art. She joined the silo, worked alongside our owner, Liz Biden, who has curated every art piece in the building and became so enthusiastic about it that she went on courses and so on. So we've built her her up to be this art concierge and she's taken a step further in that we have 350 art pieces in the hotel. So you can almost do an art tour just in the hotel that will take you three or four hours. But then we started to link it in to the art, to the museum next door. And we have secret passageways into the museum. So we have access to the museum after hours where people can leave their room and begin an art tour inside their room with the pieces of art that are in their room and then travel, go down to the hotel, into the lobby, and then you'll slip through a door and before you know it, you're in one of the galleries in the Zeitzmacher and you're seeing a completely different piece. When we first started working on these, I always thought about the movie, The Da Vinci Code actually, where the opening scene is that event at the Louvre in Paris. And I just thought how amazing it must be for people to go to a place like the Louvre in Paris and be able to be there after hours. And there's only 20 people or 30 people and you can actually be in the mocker next door where there's only just you, your partner or your family or a group of friends and have a private tour. It's extremely unique. And the building structure in itself is something to beholden. It has an atrium that is about 25 meters, so about um, 60 feet, that is carved out of the grain silos. And sitting on top of these tubes is a glass panel. So you can be standing on this glass panel 50 meters above the ground, looking straight down into this A-tube. And again, I invite you to go onto not only our website, but certainly the Mocker website where you'll see those images. Very unique and breathtaking. Because of your location, you're obviously in a
0: wonderful spot. And it sounds like it's an area that has probably changed significantly in the past five, six, seven years. When people come to the hotel, what are some must-do activities around the hotel or around Cape Town that people have to go on or people have
4: to see? So the first thing they have to do is get over the fact that they didn't book enough time to stay in Cape Town. Because there's two or three days in Cape Town is never enough. When you're coming from so far away, as a lot of our guests do, you know, they want to do safari and they want to do a little bit of Cape Town and so on. and Then they land up realizing that they did not make enough time. Definitely the top of Table Mountain. You can see it behind you where you are now, Taught It's a must-do. And the best way to do it, and it's not very difficult, is to actually walk up it. You can walk up it. It takes about two hours. There are various routes. There's routes for the very fit and the not-so-fit, and it's not difficult. And then take the cable car down. That in itself is a half a day's excursion, so you could lose half a day. But it is a must-do. We have the most beautiful drive called Chapman's Peak Drive, and that takes you all along the peninsula where you see the meeting of the two oceans, the Atlantic and the Indian. The proximity of the winelands to Cape Town is a must. And we have an exceptionally beautiful botanical garden that has the most diverse fauna and flora on the African continent for a start. Things that also are must-dos but do take a lot of time is obviously the visit to Robben Island, which is an hour's boat ride away. The, The access to the Robben Island Ferry is 100 steps away from the silo. It's right here. So it's a very easy walk. And the one thing that I do always remind people to do in Cape Town is to get onto the Red Top bus. These red-top buses are available all over the world. And all the travels that I've done, even as if I was going on a sales call to Europe or to New York or wherever, you just get onto these, you know, hop on and hop off buses and you can spend a whole day doing that. What a great way to see and to interact with the locals. That's such a great recommendation. I think
0: people look at those as tourist traps, but they really do take you around some amazing city places that you would never go to unless you were on one of those.
4: And that's just, again, I mean, as with the Robin Island, it's literally 20 steps away from our front door because we are one of the stops. And these will take you to Kirstenbosch. It'll take you to Camps Bay, the beaches. It's fabulous.
0: So, Luis, thank you so much for your time. If our listeners want to learn more about the silo or World Portfolio property, what are some of the uh, social media applications that you guys use?
4: The Royal Portfolio, you can use it as any handle at the Royal Portfolio, com. Those are the best ways to access any of our uh, social media platforms. Well, with that, Luis, thank you so much. Hopefully, we'll see you soon in Cape Town at the Silo.
0: We wish you the best of luck, and we'll be right back.
2: Welcome back, everyone, to this episode, Destination Everywhere. We're doing South Africa. And, you know, when we stayed at the Silo Hotel, just a fantastic property, just class act all the way around. We really enjoyed it. The architecture and the windows are absolutely amazing. The views you get from each of these rooms
0: is spectacular.
2: Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing about Cape Town that doesn't disappoint, it's the views. And if you want great hotel views, definitely consider the Silo Hotel. We certainly enjoyed our time there. And of course, we'd like to thank members of our
0: team here at Destination Everywhere. We'd like to thank Chris Jordan, a copywriter, Annie Fernandez, a creative director, Luis Pedraza, our podcast producer, and of course, all of our team at Lightship Studios. So thank you very much. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show on your preferred podcast app or by going to www.destination-everywhere.com. Thank you. And we will see you next time on Destination Everywhere.
1: another episode of Destination Everywhere with travel and hospitality entrepreneurs Todd Bloodworth and Andy McNeil. To access the show notes and other helpful resources, visit www.americanmeetings.com. Join us again next week for another bucket list filled show as we feature another travel worthy destination. Until next time, travel well and be safe out there.